0: For us this morning, um, this week, I'm normally at the beginning when we, when we come together and I'm going to share the Word of God with you, I'll tell you to turn to a specific place in Scripture. Um, I'm not going to do that this morning because we're going to be jumping all over the Gospels this morning. In fact, I'm fairly sure that I'm going to break a... Um, personal record for most verses read on a Sunday morning this morning as we are going. Now, if you really want to be on things, we're going to be in the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and probably primarily in the book of John. So if you're really like... I I don't know what to do with myself if I can't look at my Bible. You can go to John, and I'll try to give you as much heads up as I can of where we're going to be. We're going to start, actually, in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read 15 verses from there, and so you can, you can go there. But this week, we're starting a new sermon series. One of the things that, that's been on my heart is, as the pastor of this church and as, as a person, really is that we, we, are, we are in a season where we need the Lord's healing in our lives. We, we need a touch from the Lord for us to be able to, to move forward. You know, there, there's so much talk and, and so easily we can fall into this idea of, of being that, that, you know, COVID and COVID lockdowns and all of those things, they're, they're a thing of the past and, and we're going to move forward. But, but we know that, that COVID is still with us um, We've had a few people in the last couple of weeks, you know, not able to be here because of that. But as we've collectively, as as a people, as individuals, as family, as friends, as we've walked through this this difficult, traumatic period in the world and in our lives, we're going to need God's help in order to, to move forward and to move forward well in this time. When I was in my late teens... Um, When I was just finishing up high school, about 17 years old, um, I I loved playing soccer. It was one of my favorite things to do. Um, Played soccer, played indoor soccer, played outdoor soccer. Um, And when I was playing indoor soccer, when I was about 17 years old, I absolutely blew my knee to smithereens, um, I tore my ACL, tore my MCL, ripped up all my cartilage and all of these things. It's a crazy story, my, uh, I was playing soccer on a team with some friends, Joe was on my team at the time, and we were playing soccer in Calgary, um, at the Soccer Dome in Calgary, and I blew my knee out. But I was 17 years old, so I had to use my mom's car um, to get to and from soccer. And, and before I left, she said to me, no, don't you let any of your friends drive my car for any reason whatsoever. And so I blew my knee out playing soccer and drove home with a blown out knee in my drive because I was trying to be a good son. And when I got home, I was, why, would you, why wouldn't you let Joe drive? I said, you said I wasn't allowed or whatever. So we, but I blew my ACL out, blew it completely to smithereens. Um, and as a, a, at the time, I had two choices. I was, you know, there's two pathways forward. One is you can get... I could get surgery on my knee to do some reconstruction and repair and do a, get rid of as much of the damage and as much of the things that were going on, or I could just live with it. And being the well-adjusted, smart, responsible teenager that I was, I chose to just live with it. So I said, I can, it's fine, it'll be fine, just, you know, I'll be okay, it'll be Okay. And now my, my knee is, is totally riddled with arthritis, um, and I'm probably going to need knee replacement surgery in the next 10 to 15 years. The reason why I tell you this is because as we come out of this time of, of COVID where, where things were so pressure-filled and, and so traumatic and so difficult, we can just choose to be like, nothing ever happened. Nothing's wrong. Let's just move forward and go forward and just live with the scars and the hurts and the pain that's become part of our story. Just celebrate that the things, you know, that really hurt when it happened. But enough time has passed and it doesn't really hurt so bad anymore. But knowing that the hurts and the scars are still there. Or we can come to the Lord and invite him to heal us. We can come to the Lord with all of the things in our lives that have, have, have been difficult, and we can invite him to heal us, and we can move forward, not with a blown out, busted out knee, but hey, it hurts less now than it used to, but with a fully repaired knee. And that's, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to be talking about for, for the next little while. What we're going to be looking for. What we're going to be praying for. That when we come together, we're going to be praying for healing for each other. Praying for and looking for God to heal us. Heal us as people, as a church, as individuals, as families, as friends. And looking for God to heal us physically for sure, but also emotionally where we need emotional healing. That some of the scars and things that, that have been inflicted on us, they're not physical scars, but they're emotional scars. That, that friends, family, co-workers, people in our lives, we've had these really difficult seasons. And we need healing from the Lord in order to move forward healthily. That I can just not talk to them anymore. But that's not the most healthy way to move forward. Or perhaps spiritually, that that maybe over the last two years, things have gone difficult in your relationship with God and you need to be healed from the things that have taken place. And so that's that's what we're going to do for the next Six weeks or so is we're going to be talking about just different ways that the Lord wants to heal us and how he can heal us in these different seasons and places in our life. Next week, we're going to talk about healing broken relationships and what does it look like for the Lord to heal our broken relationships. But this week, what I want to do is I want to start from... from the beginning and, and help us to, to start from the beginning. That's a good thing to do. If you start from the end, it would be really short. Um, but we'll start from the, I want to I just talk about this idea and this concept of healing. And what does it even mean that, that one of the most difficult and hard to pin down ideas of theology and ways of understanding God and how he works and what he does is in this concept of healing. We, we are a four-square church, and that's the denomination that we're a part of if you're, you're unsure of, but, but one of the squares of the four-square, and that's what those symbols at the back there, if you're newer to our church and you see the, the red cross and the yellow bird and the blue cup and the purple crown, you think, huh, those are weird stickers. Um, those all represent the four-squares of the four-square gospel church of Canada. The, the, the first square, the red square, is, is Jesus Christ, the Savior. The second square, the yellow bird, is Jesus Christ, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit the third square the blue cup is Jesus Christ the healer and the last cup the purple crown is Jesus Christ the soon and coming king and so we as a church one of the core four foundational things that we believe about who God is is that he, he he's a healer that he heals us And so we believe that Jesus is our our healer, he's able to heal us, he wants to heal us, and so we're going to look forward and we're going to walk forward in that truth over the next couple of weeks. And so the hurt, the baggage, the physical things, the emotional things, the spiritual things that you've been carrying around, we're going to look for the Lord to set us free over the next couple of weeks. We're going to trust and believe that God is going to work in our congregation, and over the next few weeks, we are going to be less burdened, and we are going to be able to run free in a way perhaps we haven't done in a long time. But healing can be hard to understand. Healing can be difficult as we walk through different journeys of healings with different people, and it's like, I don't quite know how to understand all of this, and so what I want to do this morning is we're just going to look at a whole bunch of places where Jesus healed people, and we're going to see what conclusions we can draw from that to understand what it looks like to believe in a God who's a healer. So we're going to begin by looking at Luke chapter 8, and starting in verse 40, there's two stories of healing that take place here. And so we're just going to read through a bunch of verses here, and then we'll come back and talk about what these stories mean. So starting in verse 40, it says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As, so that sets, up, that sets up the scene. That's the context for the first healing that we're going to talk about. Spoiler alert. Um, but as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Large groups of people pressing in all around, trying to get close to Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him, Jesus, and and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Jesus says, who trusted? And everyone and no one did. There's this huge crowd and everybody's pressing in. So everybody's touching Jesus, but nobody with like an intentional thing. And Peter points out the obvious Jesus, there's a whole bunch of people. But Jesus said, No, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and, and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus. So remember, now we have this incredible story of this woman being healed. But it began with the story of this little girl who was dying, Jairus' daughter. And so somebody comes from his house and says, your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't, don't make Jesus come the rest of the way. The story's been written. The story's been told. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. That's quite the response to Jesus, hey? You know, that, that's not something typically we, we, we think of, that the words of Jesus, the kind of response his words would elicit, is laughter, but not because he told a joke, but laughter at him for, for seemingly saying something so outrageous. Verse fi- or 54, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is a good passage to begin talking about healing with, because in these verses we see two very different people healed in two very different ways. Jesus simply speaks a word to the girl, saying, little girl arise he says three words and she's healed not just from sickness but from death but Jesus also heals this chronic bleeding this woman with a a chronic bleeding problem with without even seemingly knowing it Jesus doesn't speak any words to her he doesn't do anything to her she just touches him and she's healed See, sometimes Jesus would speak a phrase to people and they they would be healed. He told people to stand up or get up. But sometimes he didn't even tell people they were healed. Ten lepers come to Jesus and ask him to have mercy on them, meaning meaning heal us. They come to Jesus, or at least as close as they could come to him, and they they ask Jesus to, to heal them. And Jesus just tells them, go and show yourself to the priest. That's all he says to them. And on their way, or in a moment, or when they show, we don't know that. But Jesus doesn't say, be healed. He just says, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they're healed. Sometimes we see even in Scripture that Jesus had to pray more than once. Jesus Jesus prays and the man can't quite see. And so Jesus, it says, has to pray again. And so he prays again and the man's healed. Throughout the New Testament, we see over and over again that there's no one way that Jesus did things. He didn't give us a template for healing. He didn't give us, here's how to heal someone in five easy steps. Here's the magical phrase. Here's the thing you have to do. Here's the thing you have to say. No hand motions, no dance routine, nothing of the sort. There was nothing that Jesus pointed to and said, here, if you want to heal someone, say this, do this, act like this. Do that. We see it's different all the time. We go to John chapter 5. We see a a totally different and unique story of healing in John chapter 5. It says, for for some time Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades here a great here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed now i want to stop here for a moment because if you are following along in your bibles um, some of you will have a verse four some of you won't have a verse four um, depending on the translation you have, it might have a little verse 4 with a little, just a little letter next to it. Some of you, it might just jump from verse 3 to verse 5. Some of you might say, what are you talking about? My Bible has verse 4. It all depends on which translations it comes from. And the reason why that there's not necessarily a verse 4 in all of your translations is because when we go back to the earliest manuscripts of scripture, verse 4 isn't always included in there. But it is sometimes. And what people believe happened, and this is the, the working theory that scriptural scholars, textural criticism and those kind of things would say is that verse 4 wasn't in the original manuscript of the book of John but rather it was a little add-on that one of the translators added just to bring some clarity in order for people to understand what's taking place there and so it ended up working its way in because it was just kind of an add-on in the margin that eventually worked its way over but that's why your bible may have a verse 4 may not have a verse 4 may have verse 4 written in italics may have just a little note all of the different ways, or it may just have verse 4, kind of depending on when the people who created whatever translation it is that you're reading, what they decided to do with that. So in case you're wondering, or in case you notice on the slides, it goes from John 5.3 to John 5.5. I didn't skip a verse, although potentially I did, depending on which translation you're using. Verse 5.5, one of, one of, or one of, or one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years When Jesus saw him lying there and and learned that he had been in a condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. This is what verse 4 is referring to. If you go back and look at verse 4, that will bring some clarity to what he means when the water is stirred. And so that's why they believe this little note was added in there. So uh, when the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else does ahead of me then Jesus said to him get up pick up your mat and walk and in verse 9 at once the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked now there's some really wild aspects of this story some very like fantastical sounding things some incredible moments but in some ways this story actually raises more questions than it answers in the verses we just read, it said that there was a great multitude of people gathered around this pool looking for healing. A great, mu- there's any number of people there. We don't know how many a multitude is, but it's safe to say it's at least two. And Jesus picks one guy. Out of this great multitude of people who are all there for the same purpose, Jesus selects one. Who? Or why? Who knows we're given no no context in that we can speculate we know that he'd been there for a very long time scripture says 38 years so perhaps it's because it was a long time in fact when we read it it says that when Jesus was told how long he'd been there he does go over and talk to him but the flip side of him being able to be there for 38 years that probably means it wasn't the most urgent one it probably wasn't the most dire request of the group of people who were there. That He's been there for 38 years in his condition. But it seems as if his ailment wouldn't allow him to get to the pool on time. But if there's a great multitude of people there, he wasn't the only one. Unless the multitude was only ever two, and the guy kept losing every single time. We don't know why Jesus picks this single person out of this crowd. And Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed. Like, like all the others that lived on the shore of this pool hoping to be healed. But Jesus selects this one man and asks him this question. So was it because his desire to be healed was greater than all of the others? We read about the woman with the issue of, of bleeding that pushed through the crowd to simply touch the cloak of Jesus and was healed. That's a desire and a belief that's, that's pretty high. To believe that she would just need to touch Jesus and and she would be healed. And Jesus even commends her. He, He comments to her and says, your faith has made you well. So, is it a level of faith that allows us to be healed? If we have enough faith, then we'll be healed. And if not, sorry. Well, we also read about the daughter of Jairus. Certainly... She didn't have enough faith to be healed. She was dead. Kind of hard to... Your faith has made you well. But her dad had faith on her behalf. Maybe... maybe, So maybe it's not the individual that needs to have faith. But but collectively, if the individual and and those around them need to reach a certain level of faith... Jesus, Jesus did tell the father... Don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. So perhaps if if it's the required amount of faith from everyone collectively, but if that's if it's not able to be achieved by the individual, then those around them can add to the level of faith. That the girl couldn't, but her dad, by by, you know, by osmosis, the faith was transferred over. So maybe when we don't see People healed the way we'd like to. Maybe it's because collectively we don't have enough faith. You know, there's the story of the guy whose friends cut a hole in the roof and lowers their friend down into the room in Mark chapter 2, and, and Jesus heals them. That Maybe it's, it's that we collectively need to have enough faith so that we can pass it on. But if we, again, if we go back to the story of, of Jairus, we read that the people... We're not showing any faith. In fact, it says they laughed at Jesus. That's not faith. That's the opposite. Like, that's not even doubt. That's scoffing. That, that's a whole other level. But maybe there was enough residual faith from the dad and the disciples left over. We we don't know if they were mocking. It doesn't tell us who was doing the mocking. You know, if if that's why Peter, James, and John were the only ones allowed in, because the other nine were like, Jesus, this is ridiculous. We don't know. But when the mocking intensifies, Jesus gives everybody the boot. So, So what of faith? Is it a hard truth that we need to face? That sometimes our lack of faith, causes people to not be healed. In in my own life, there's a very specific moment that will live with me for the entire rest of my life. There was a friend of mine who was diagnosed with a sickness, and, and I really believed that God spoke to me and said, if you go pray for them, they will be healed. And I would love to tell you that I got right up and went and prayed for them, and they were healed. But I missed the first step. I never got up. I couldn't, in in faith, with enough faith, muster up to even go say, I think God might have told me this. I stayed seated and watched him leave. My faith wasn't what I needed to be. I didn't get up, I didn't pray, and they were not healed. So is it faith? But if we continue to look at different stories of healing in scripture, we continue to see this this unpattern develop. There seems to be a handful of times in Scripture where the person being healed didn't even seem to want or ask to be healed, and they certainly didn't express any faith or belief. In Acts chapter 3, there's a man born lame who's simply begging for money. He does this every day. He had a group of friends who would carry him to the temple gate every day, and he would sit and beg for money each day. And it just so happens that one day when he's doing this, Peter and John happen to be walking by. And the man does what he does and says, hey, any money for me? But rather than giving the money, Peter and John say to the man, look at us. And after he looks at them, they say to him, we don't have any money for you. But here's what I do have. Here's what we do have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, there was, there was no faith or desire or belief in that guy. That that moment came at him like a a, a, totally blindsided. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't asking for it. He wasn't, oh, here's Peter and John. They'll heal me. No, it's just here's some guys. Maybe they have some extra cash. But maybe you would say, well, it's Peter and John that have enough faith. Well, there's one guy in Scripture who's healed, who demonstrated even less faith than that. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is, in case you're wondering, this is actually my favorite story in all of Scripture. This is my favorite, ver- my favorite chunk of verses, my favorite story from the life of Jesus. This is my favorite. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And it says this As he went along, Jesus, he was, he was traveling, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We'll talk more about that question in just a second. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Aren't you glad there's more than one way to heal someone? <laughs> could you imagine if this is what we had? To... I've said this before and I'll say it a hundred times. I don't think I could ever do that to someone, no matter how clearly the Lord spoke. That if I believed in my heart of hearts, just spit on the ground, make some mud, and rub it on their face, Jesus himself would have to be standing there and say it to me. And even then, I would probably say, you do it. (laughs) He makes mud, rubs it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. Where was this man's faith on display scripture doesn't even record that this man said a word nothing to the disciples nothing to jesus he doesn't even ask them for money no asking for help in fact the topic of healing doesn't even come up at first we see jesus disciples ask him a theological question a common understanding of the time was that if you were sick, that if there was something physically wrong with you, that it was the result of, of sin in your life, that, that it was a punishment. And so with this man being born blind, the assumption that people had made was, was, was that it was a punishment for sin. But being born blind means that the sin had to come from one of two places. That either this man's blindness was a punishment on his parents for the sin that they had committed. And so as a punishment for a sin they had committed, their, their son was born blind. But the other option that the disciples say that's just wild is, or was it this man's sin that, he was, that somehow he had sinned in utero? That, that while he was growing as a baby inside of his mom, that I guess he had some impure thoughts? I don't know, I don't know what you can do as a baby, and like before you're even born, what kind of or if it was like a preemptive strike. That God knew he was going to sin, so preemptively it was a preemptive strike. But, but this man is just sitting there, doing nothing to no one. And suddenly this group of people that are nearby stop not to talk to him, but to talk about him. And the theological question that the existence of this man poses. And he hears the disciples say to Jesus. So whose sin is it that this man is like this? As he's just sitting there. Doing nothing. Not hurting anyone. But suddenly he's, whoa. How bad of a guy is he or is it his family that's bad? But Jesus has this incredible answer. He says, This man wasn't born blind because of sin. He was born blind for this very moment. This moment right now is the reason he was born blind, because he was born blind so that in this moment, the power of God can be shown in his life to everyone who sees it. Now, then this man who's sitting there, still not talking to anybody, still very confused hears Jesus spit and then suddenly feels something all over his face. And then he's healed. He's healed. But the question that this poses, no one was demonstrating great faith. The man was just sitting there. No one was lobbying God for this, or for this man on his behalf. There was no friends there. The disciples weren't interested in his healing. They were interested in the philosophical, theological question of his existence. But the topic of healing doesn't come up until, until Jesus does it. He just heals him. So, so what of faith? What, what of belief? What of desire? Do we need to have faith to be healed? Of course we do. Do we need to have belief and and desire to be healed? Of course we do. Do we need to do something in order to be healed? Of course we do. But there's also no specific criteria laid out to a point of lacking heal or a lack of healing as a lack of one of these things. Because every time you can point, well, Jesus said your faith has made you well, there's also somebody who doesn't show any faith. So it can't just be a simple answer like that. Some were healed because of their great faith. Some were healed seemingly because of the faith of others. And some were just healed. Because that was the reason they were sick. Was so they could be healed. There's one other other point in scripture that I want to talk to us about this morning before we're finished here. I mean, it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you, if you want to go there. If we were to lay out and understand these things as a criteria for being healed, if we, we were to say you have to have faith, you have to have belief, you have to have action, you have, your relationship with God has to be blank for you to be healed or for you to heal someone, if there was one person we would go to and we would say, if I need to put it into the concept of a person, it would be Paul, the Apostle Paul. That we could go to him, be like Paul. If there's ever somebody who had the faith, who had the action, who had the belief, who had all the things, he'd be like Paul. And if that was the case, none of us would probably have live up to those things because Seemingly, none of us are the Apostle Paul. But he prayed for God's healing in his life. And seemingly, nothing happened. He will say, Paul will give his testimony... And say that he prayed for healing and, and he was not healed. In Second Corinthians, Paul will write about what he will call a thorn in his flesh. He will call it a messenger of Satan. And we don't know exactly exactly what it is. Some people think it's as simple as he just couldn't see very well because he will write in some of his letters, see how big the writing that I have to use is because I can't see very well. Um, other people will think that it, it's, it, it was a more significant disease that perhaps contributed to his, his inability to see, see very well, but we don't know what it is. But what he does say is, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. In fact, he will say that he pleaded with the Lord three times He came back again and again and again to the Lord and said, God, would you heal me? The apostle Paul coming to the road from Damascus guy, the the guy who, the, the apostle, the guy who wrote all those books in the New Testament, he comes to God again and again and again and says, would you heal me? And God tells him, no. He says to God, tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The healing that you want, you don't get it. You get my grace instead. The grace that I'm going to give you is sufficient for the healing you're looking for. But as Paul walked this road where he, he prayed to God to heal him, and God told him no, eventually he comes to a place in his own life where, where he's able to write this about this experience that he had with, with, his, with God and his healing and, and all of these things where he writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness in insults and in hardships and persecution in difficulties for when I am weak... Then I am strong. Paul comes to this place where instead of coming back again and again and again and again saying, Jesus, would you heal me? God, would you heal me? He comes to a place where he says, I need to rejoice in the fact that I'm not healed. Friends, make no mistake. Paul was healed, but maybe just not the way Paul envisioned it when he prayed for healing. That he received from the Lord, and God set things right in his life, but not physically. He set things right in his life emotionally, spiritually. And the reality is that at some point, every single one of us, unless the Lord comes back, will not be healed of something the way we were praying for. And we'll go home to be with the Lord. That's been the destiny of all but a very select handful of people who have ever lived. We we talked about Jairus' daughter. She was raised from the dead. We can't go interview her to get her testimony today. She went to be with the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Lazarus who was raised from the dead. He's not with us anymore. Every single one of us is gonna go through that journey of our lives at some point where we may pray and pray and pray and pray to be re- delivered from, from this physical thing. And for every one of us, unless the Lord comes back before we're there, is going to have to experience this. God may have not healed Paul's body, but he healed his spirit. He healed his soul. Where he was able to understand differently what was happening in his life. Paul was healed not in his physical body, but by God changing how he saw himself and what was going on in his life. So, What do we make of healing? What what do we make of all the verses, all the things, all the stories that we've read this morning? What do we make of all of this? As we talk about the Lord is going to heal us, how do we understand what God's going to do? Well, first, we have to understand that we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know what what it's going to look like. I don't know when I say, God wants to heal you. God wants to heal your relationship. God wants to heal you physically, emotionally. I don't know what that looks like. But we have a God who's a healer. We need to understand that that there's not a prescription and there's not a way. There's not something that we're going to make a line and each one of you are going to come up to me and I'm going to say something and you're going to move on and you'll be fine and it'll be great and it'll be just like an assembly line. I don't know. Some of us may be healed in an instant. That you may come forward saying, Pastor Brad, I need healing for this, and we will pray, and you will be healed. Some will pray, and there'll be a gradual process of healing. Even Jesus had to pray twice, goodness. It's okay if we do too. Some of us may never receive the healing we're looking for that you may come up and I want to be prayed for this and it will never happen. But like Paul, we'll receive a different kind of healing where we see things differently. As we move through this season looking for Jesus to heal us, Jesus to be our healer, what is it that we're looking for? We're looking for Jesus. Jesus. If you want to find one commonality between every single story of healing that we looked at today, there's only one commonality between them all. Jesus Christ. He is our healer. And so as we move through this season, as we move through this time, we're not looking for this or that or the other. We are looking for Jesus to come and impact our lives, to do what he knows he can do what we know he can do to be who we know he is, to come into our life, to change us, to heal us, to give us a new perspective, to allow us to walk forward, not just carrying around all the guilt, the weight, and the pain that we've experienced, but to be able to walk away different. Because Jesus impacted our story. We're looking for Jesus to come and move in and heal us. And to take us from where we are in our physical bodies, in our spirits, in our emotions. And take us to where only he can take us. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so grateful that we can come to you in moments like this. That in these moments where our life, where our journey, where our story, where our physical bodies, where our emotions, where, where our spirits, God, where, where our relationships, where, where maybe they're not where they're supposed to be. And in fact, like Jairus' daughter, maybe they're dead. Maybe they're dead this morning. Maybe, maybe our, our, our walk with you is dead. Maybe our relationships are dead. Maybe our emotions are dead. Maybe they're dead this morning. But God, I thank you that we serve a God who raises the dead. We serve a God who can, at a word, speak life and see the dead raised. And so, God, we, we come together now, and we, I pray over all of these people gathered here, those watching online, the same words that you spoke to Jairus' daughter. My child, get up. This is the word of the Lord for us today. This is the word of the Lord for our lives today. This is the word of the Lord for you today. You are his child. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. And God would speak to your life. God would speak to your soul. God would speak to your physical body. God would speak to you today and say, My child, get up. And then the verse will continue to say, Her spirit returned. Father, I thank you that in this moment, your spirit is coming on us. The same way that little girl's spirit returned to her physical body, God, I thank you that your spirit is being poured out on us this morning. And God, my prayer for each one of us that that has looked, has desired, that has said, God, would you heal me? God, I thank you that as we read in Scripture that that we'll say they will come to you and say, Father, Jesus, if you're willing, and your response is, I am willing. So God, in this moment, in this time, right now, in this place, God, I thank you that you are willing. And God, my prayer is that this day, May 15th, 2022, would be a watershed moment in so many lives that people would remember this day, that they would be able to remember and come back as an anniversary of this was the moment when things changed. Because of Jesus. God, I thank you that we don't serve a God who's impotent. I thank you that we don't serve a God who's distant. I thank you that as we've read these stories, God, I thank you that our proclamation is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And right now, I thank you that you're changing today so that you can change forever. God, I thank you that in this moment we come to you and we ask you to heal us. God, set things right. God, set our lives right, set our relationships right, set our spirits right, set our emotions right. God, thank you that you are setting things in place right now. And God, as we travel down this journey, God, as we, we take these steps towards healing, May we not be left the same. May none of us be left behind. May none of us be left the same. But I thank you for this opportunity to be together in your presence. And God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in lives right now. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm praying God come. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, his purpose and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. I'm
1: praying God to come and turn this thing around. Oh yes. God turn it around. God turn it around God turn it around. I'm calling on the name that changes everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. You gotta turn it. Around.